Warning! Today's story contains explicit sex. In fact, it's pretty much about sex. We're rating it X for that reason. If you're under 18 or otherwise don't want to listen to lots of sexual content or strong language, this may be a good week to check out Escape Pod Classic at classic.escapepod.org. Escape Pod 104 May 3rd, 2007 Today's story, Lust for Learning, by Pete Butler Hello, and welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely, and this is episode number 104. With 52 weeks in a year, I'm picking this as our second anniversary podcast. So, happy anniversary, darling. I'm not going to roll out a big party for it. That's what episode 100 was for. I'm thinking, quiet dinner out. Nice glass of wine. Sound good to you? It's been brought to my attention recently that, although I talk pretty often in these intros about my kid, or about vacations, or things in my life, there's a lot more that I leave out. This isn't so much because I'm a private person. I'm really not. As a sense of topic... This is a science fiction podcast, and if I can't bring my relationships or sexuality on topic, why should anyone care? But I was telling the person who said this to me that she should talk about herself more on her podcast. And the really uptight people hopefully cut out of the content warning, so here's one more thing about me. I've never been one for casual relationships. Everyone I've dated, male or female, it's been for months or years. My relationships right now aren't casual. And while every lover is very different, I think the reason they've all worked for me, why I can think back on everyone I've ever been with fondly, is the same. Ely's key to relationships is this. Keep each other amused. I think this is something that more people should think about. More people should work to amuse each other. If you can make each other laugh, at least a lot of the time, the relationship doesn't get old. It doesn't get boring. It's good communication. When you laugh with someone, you feel closer to them. And we're all more charming when we're not taking ourselves too seriously. And finally, it's a turn-on. It's an endorphin rush that makes people feel good and energetic. If you can't find something to laugh about during foreplay, you're probably not paying enough attention. Our story this week is not an overly serious piece. It's light, yet thought-provoking, presenting a possible future for education. But really, I bought it because I found it very, very sexy. We present Lust for Learning by Pete Butler. Mr. Butler lives in Pennsylvania and has previously appeared on Escape Pod with the very different story, Squonk the Dragon. He's also the editor of the upcoming anthology, Triangulation, The End of Time, coming out in July. This particular story is an Escape Pod original. The story is read for us by myself and my recent sweetheart, Cunning Minx of the Polyamory Weekly podcast. Polyamory derives from the Latin words for many loves, or possibly for Help My Day Planner Just Exploded. She has an excellent podcast where relationships and intimacy really are the topic. You can hear me in a couple of recent ones, too. I highly recommend it at polyweekly.com. So sharpen your pencils and keep both hands on your desk. It's story time. Lust for Learning by Pete Butler Bonjour, Monique said. You may call me Madame Touré. Bonjour, Madame Touré, several of her students answered. They were mostly young men, but young women made up a sizable minority, a typical distribution considering the subject matter. All of them looked eager, 
After all, she mused, when taking a new lover, there's nothing quite like the first time. Particularly when that new lover had a reputation as formidable as Professor Monique Thérèse. Her notoriety had little to do with raw physicality, though she certainly wasn't hard on her students' eyes. Thirty-four years old and in excellent shape, she wore her light brown hair in a bun, with a few strategically loose strands hinting that she might literally let her hair down at any moment. The neckline of her tailored white silk blouse dipped low enough to show just a bit of cleavage. Her blazer, blue like her eyes, hugged her narrow waist and flared at the feminine curve of her hips. Her matching blue skirt covered two shapely but not especially long legs to the knees. The ensemble, which represented as much clothing as any four of her students combined, showed a woman who was appealing but could hardly be considered gorgeous. Not like Professor De Silva over in the philosophy department, a smoldering Brazilian beauty rumored to have put herself through grad school as an exotic dancer, or Professor Porter, a Greek god reimagined as a black man who taught calculus in the buff. Yet Madame Thérèse's word-of-mouth reputation was to die for. Both the official feedback data and the school's online forums placed her among Wilhelm Yu's most popular instructors. It was a matter of technique. Wilhelm Yu was awash in eye candy, but Monique's pitch-perfect mastery of lascivious restraint was something else entirely. All 38 of her new students, she'd have wagered a month's salary that not a soul had skipped this class, now looked at her with naked desire, even though she'd merely introduced herself. She remained silent to let the anticipation build a bit, to inform them they were now at her mercy. Welcome, she finally said, to Computer Science 338, Artificial Intelligence. I am recording our conversation, and shall record all conversations for the duration of my stay, Foster yelled, competing with the helicopter as it wound itself down. Now, with that legal unpleasantness out of the way, I'm Al Foster. It's a pleasure to meet you, Dr. Bernard. He took Dr. Bernard's hand and gave it a single firm pump. If Dr. Bernard was surprised to learn he was being recorded, he kept it from reaching his face. Likewise, Mr. Foster. He was reflexively hunched beneath the spinning blades, even though he'd have needed a four-foot vertical leap to endanger himself. Just past forty and graying around the temples, he had that slightly pudgy and distracted look Foster associated with the company's top techies. How was your flight to the island? Dr. Bernard asked, leading Foster through the small airport. Actually, airport was a reach. It was a helipad, a single runway, and a few shacks. The island's main access point was still the artificial harbor. God Almighty, had that cost a fortune to build. Uneventful. Foster waved away the topic. Doctor, I've been running research and development for just over two weeks, and I still feel like I barely even have a grasp on your project and its implications. Are you aware that close to two-thirds of the entire R&D budget corporate-wide goes into Wilhelm University, even though you're probably years away from turning a profit? Dr. Bernard led him to a battered old Jeep with the company logo proudly emblazoned on the hood and doors. Mr. Foster, at this stage, I'll take that as a yes. Foster claimed the passenger seat. Do you know how much controversy this place stirs up by its mere existence? Puritans. Dr. Bernard scoffed, settling in behind the wheel and gripping it harder than necessary. To a certain repressed mindset. Not all those Puritans are outside the company, Foster said. Some are insiders. 
Many of them would like a slice of your pie, a big one. And they can make some compelling arguments about why they deserve it. Yes, Dr. Bernard grumbled as he started the jeep. He wiped the sweat off his forehead. Foster couldn't tell if it was nerves or the oppressive heat. Of course, it would be dreadfully short-sighted to— Doctor, I have a million questions about this place, and I don't expect to have all of them answered by the time I leave. So let's start the tour with the only one that matters. Does it work? Dr. Bernard's grip on the steering wheel relaxed a bit. Mr. Foster, last year 72% of the graduating student body had a perfect grade point average for their entire academic career at Wilhelm. Our evaluation practices are scrupulously monitored by two outside firms with no other connection to the company, both of whom maintain that the standard we set is both fair and significantly more rigorous than that of Harvard. Dr. Bernard put the jeep in gear, and they began bouncing down a gravel road leading into the dense tree line. Wilhelm graduates have been in the workforce for over two years now, and the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. Simply put, Wilhelm University is earning a reputation as a genius factory. So yes, Dr. Bernard started to smile. It works. Monique continued as her students moaned in contentment. The logicist tradition goes back to Aristotle. This bit of trivia sent a few of her more sensitive pupils into a brief, fluttering climax, setting off a lovely little chain reaction. She permitted a trace of her own voyeuristic arousal to find its way to her face. Amusing to think of Aristotle as a hacker, n'est-ce pas? she added, giving those students a chance to catch their breath and return their focus to the lesson. Unfortunately, when applied to AI, this approach suffers two fundamental unresolved flaws. First, how does one take informal knowledge and state it in formal terms? And second, solving a problem in principle and solving it in practice are often two very different things. So, in terms of AI, the logicist approach is a dead end, and we will not discuss it further. Moans of pleasure turned to whimpers as her students realized the previous ten minutes of lecture had been nothing more than a tease. Monique allowed a few delicious moments to pass, straightening her blazer. However, she said, smiling ever so slightly and cocking an eyebrow, the rational agent approach holds considerably more promise. And the entire class quivered with anticipation. As you can see, Dr. Bernard continued, we basically had to build everything from scratch. The road improved once they got out of the jungle, but not by much. Foster clutched the side of the windshield. The rough gravel trail led towards a series of prefab buildings from the concrete slabs full of architecture. It could have been a college campus anywhere in North America, with groups of mostly young people milling about in the open spaces. Wait a minute. What were they wearing? San Lenina, excuse me, doctor, but is this campus clothing optional? Dr. Bernard laughed. Sorry, I forgot how unique we are. Yes, both the physical and social environments devastate nudity taboos among our students. Most of the people walking outside wore little clothing at all, and half were naked save for their backpacks. Though, like myself, most of the staff aren't as bold. Old habits die hard. Foster looked around with renewed appreciation for the scenery. I'm sorry, Doctor. You were saying? San Lenino was unoccupied when we bought it from the Mexican government. Is Wilhelm University in Mexican territory? 
Technically, yes, but our arrangement with the Mexican government allows us to manage our own affairs. The company will get San Lenina recognition as a nation unto itself, Foster said. Sovereign statehood is the only reliable defense against legislative moralizing. A lot of that infrastructure is in place, Dr. Bernard said. We already control our own border more rigorously than most nations. Most other nations, Foster said. Acquire the habit of thinking of San Lenina as a nation unto itself. They were in campus town now. Several buildings sported the logos of company-owned franchises, including a trendy clothing store. Apparently, that store could be scaled back a touch. Several people waved as they passed. Dr. Bernard nodded. Anyway, we've had a couple of very nasty close calls with outside extremists. Islamic and Christian fundamentalist groups, a few reactionary Asian groups, that crowd, trying to make good on their threats. So far, we've headed off any real problems. Like that fishing boat filled with barrels of sarin. Dr. Bernard coughed as he guided the jeep into a mostly empty parking lot. Yes, case in point. From the look on his face, the doctor had hoped nobody else knew about the near nerve-gassing of the university. His people had done an effective, if somewhat amateurish, job covering it up. Our psychological profiling has been the best first line of defense, Dr. Bernard went on. Prospective students and staff have to pass a rigorous series of exams, both to make sure they're not liable to cause trouble, and to show that they can handle the instruction, even if their motives are pure. He rolled into a parking space and set the emergency brake. So what are you looking for? In the students, a certain submissive streak is required. Just the opposite holds true for the faculty. They need to be comfortable with a more dominant role. Anybody uncomfortable in those roles, or who can't be made comfortable, is going to cause problems. They got out of the jeep. Dr. Bernard started toward one of the administrative buildings, but Foster wanted to get a better look at the environment first. He strode towards what looked like the student quad. Dr. Bernard fell into step behind him. Among students and faculty both, Dr. Bernard continued, any signs that you're bothered by either homo or heterosexuality will get you denied. In a similar vein, an overwhelming preference for just one gender is a big red flag. Are you saying you only accept bisexuals? Not as such. Our work here gives ample support to the theory that most people have at least a little bisexuality in them, that under the right conditions, you could become quite aroused by either gender. It's just that most cultures push you to choose one over the other. And why is that so significant? If you're a student, then at some point, somebody of the gender you're not normally attracted to will tell you something interesting enough to push you over the edge. If your sexual identity is too rigid to cope with that, you're in trouble. They passed by a group of students sitting in a circle on the grass. Most were listening, captivated and aroused, as one student read to them. Foster took a closer look. The student was reading from an accounting textbook. And if you're on the faculty, Dr. Bernard continued, you're going to be inducing intense excitement in students of both genders on a regular basis. Again, if you can't handle that, you're going to be miserable. And it's been difficult assembling that faculty, Foster said. Yes, Dr. Bernard confessed. This place is hell on marriages. We don't explicitly disallow married applicants, but in practice, 82% of our professors are single. And on top of it all, we maintain very high standards for their actual ability as instructors. So when we find somebody interested in and capable of teaching here, we really can't afford to accept no for an answer. 
hence the rather inflated pay scale you offer. Dr. Bernard nodded. Won't your graduate program make for a fertile recruiting ground? Once it's in place, but that won't be for a few more years at least. They walked past a group of students talking amongst themselves. Most wore little more than shorts, if that. A shapely blonde girl wore only an oversized silvery t-shirt that, depending on the angle, Foster could see right through. She greeted Dr. Bernard with a cursory, Hey, Doc! How difficult is it to find suitable undergraduate students? Foster asked. Not as bad, but still not trivial. Dr. Bernard nodded to the cluster of students. We require a certain level of sexual maturity, and it's not always easy to find that in people in their late teens or early twenties. And then there are the parents. I'm sure you understand. Some of them see us in less than flattering terms. And what happens when somebody slips through who just isn't cut out for this place? Well, all our students see counselors on a regular basis to mitigate that risk. And to help you collect data, Foster said. Well, yes, that too. Dr. Bernard wrung his hands. But if we find somebody is cracking, we do everything we can to support them. We give them extra counseling, allow them to break for the semester if they need it, that sort of thing. And if they still need to leave, well, first, let me state that every physiological preparation the students undergo, from the neurosurgery to the mandatory contraceptive surgery, is completely reversible. So we undo anything they no longer want. Then our counselors work with them to help them find an institution better suited to their needs. Foster looked around the quad. The layout was fairly conventional a wide open space surrounded by buildings and crisscrossed by sidewalks, but a few moments' observation were all you needed to realize something very strange was going on. The bushes and trees, none of which Foster could put names to, all had an unmistakable tropical flair. The buildings, bearing the names of corporate officers from days gone by, looked sterile and dumpy. That was wholly unacceptable. Surely there was room in the budget for some colorful paint, at least but the students truly reminded Foster that he wasn't in Kansas anymore. He prided himself on his discipline, but he struggled to not gawk at the extraordinary parade of naked and near-naked men and women in their physical primes, many displaying all manner of public affection for each other. Some of the couples were mixed gender, some were same sex, and several weren't really couples. Some just kissed or held hands, others made out passionately, still others. Good Lord! A young man and woman under a tree near the sidewalk were in the midst of, in the old parlance, going all the way. Foster seemed to be the only one who found this unusual. Excuse me, doctor. Foster sat off for the young lovers. He put his watch in his pocket as he approached. He felt a jolt of adrenaline as his discipline cracked a bit. It was as though he'd stepped out of reality and into a porn video. The woman was young, lovely, and very naked. A growing part of him wanted to find out what would happen if he tried to join in. Pardon me, he said, just a few feet away. Could either of you tell me what time it is? The moans and grunts were the only thing that stopped. Sure, the young man said, checking his watch. Quarter to two. He wasn't even mildly annoyed. Thanks. No problem. And he turned his attention back to the matter at hand. Foster glanced at her to see her reaction and she winked at him before giving her focus back to her partner. His discipline cracked just a little more, but he had a job to do. Everything they do to these kids is completely reversible, he marveled as he returned to Dr. Bernard. Bullshit. What was that all about? Dr. Bernard asked, concerned. Due diligence. Foster put his watch back on. 
Doctor, I would like to see the wellspring. Show me the medical facility. No, she scolded. No, no, no. Two of her students were pawing each other in earnest. That sort of behavior simply wasn't acceptable. They weren't learning anything. Henry snapped into action and strode towards the misbehaving students. Her school-appointed bodyguard typically spent the entirety of class lurking next to the stage. Her students usually forgot he was there. The class went silent and turned its attention to the couple, who slowly realized something was wrong. Most of the stares directed at them were very unhappy. They'd stopped the lecture. Henry's stare was downright menacing. He was a chiseled six-foot-four, just unkempt enough to appear dangerous without looking sloppy. His belt carried a cornucopia of non-lethal weaponry, any one of which could incapacitate a student in a second. Of course, the armament was redundant. Henry had black belts and half a dozen martial arts techniques. These two students had displeased his professor. They looked up at him and swallowed apprehensively. You will put some distance between yourselves. Monique adopted the tone of a jealous lover. In my class, you belong to me, and the rest of you keep your hands where I can see them. The two impatient students slid their chairs apart and stared at the table before them, suitably abashed. Yes, Madame Touré, they said in unison. Thank you, Henry, she said as he silently returned to his post. He nodded in acknowledgement. Her students saw nothing but a scowl, but she smiled inside. The first day of class usually left her feeling like a cat in heat, but after that little display... Oh, yes. After lunch, she'd definitely have Henry escort her home so she could pounce on Michel. She'd certainly tell Michel why she was in that mood, though in the version he'd hear, the two would-be lovers would be much further along by the time she'd caught them. And would Henry be interested in joining... So, she pulled herself back to her students. May we continue? They nodded eagerly. Pleas of, yes, madame, peppered the lecture hall. Monique ran her tongue over her top lip, slowly. Good, she finally said, ready to resume the orgy of learning. If we continue our example of a human being as an agent, its effectors would be its legs, its arms, its hands, its mouth, its tongue. And they did indeed belong to her again. This is where it happens, Dr. Bernard boasted as they entered the largest building on the tour. Foster breathed a sigh of relief as they entered, the cool climate-controlled air washing over them. Though the exterior was as bland and antiseptic as the rest of the campus, at least the interior decoration showed a little imagination. Native plants and wood paneling were scattered throughout the large reception area, creating the illusion that they weren't quite indoors yet. Foster had been impressed with the place from the moment he'd seen it on the balance sheets. It was a world-class medical nanotech clinic. None of San Lenino's residents would ever be sick for any longer than it took to notice the illness. Incoming students spend the summer preceding their freshman year here, being prepared, Dr. Bernard said. Foster flashed his credentials to a receptionist, who let them pass with a nod. "'And how do you do it?' Foster asked with genuine interest. The information he'd seen had been slathered with jargon. "'It's called the Mustafa process. Some psychological work, but mostly physiological.' Dr. Bernard was firmly in his element here, completely confident. "'Mostly we use neurites, 
neurosurgical nanites, microscopic robots that, under our guidance, rewire the students' brains to turn them into fetishists. Technicians hustled from one place to another, fiddling with expensive-looking equipment Foster barely recognized. You could say our students are education files, extreme ones. That sounds like an oversimplification. Oh, it is, Dr. Bernard said. We've spent a lot of time refining the process. Basically, our students are aroused by new information. The more complex and detailed the concepts, the more excited they become. Memorizing sports stats, for example, will only get them slightly aroused. But start teaching them, say, the theoretical underpinnings of advanced chemistry, and they get interested. Very, very interested. And very attentive. How interested? Actual climax is quite common, Dr. Bernard said. Our average student experiences six full-blown orgasms per day. Foster coughed. To be 18 again, he said. Isn't that awfully taxing? Dr. Bernard smiled. It can be, but we know how to manage it. To look at our students' diets, you'd think we were running a football factory. And your male students? Don't have a problem, Dr. Bernard said, anticipating the question gracefully. In addition to the neurosurgery, we alter our male students to experience orgasm without ejaculation. Makes things a lot tidier for everybody. Would you care to hear the specifics? Mail them to me. Do you do anything equivalent for the female students? Only on request. It's more of an issue for some women than others. A passing orderly greeted Dr. Bernard, and he responded in kind. Have you explored any of the other commercial possibilities of your methods? Foster asked. Of course, Dr. Bernard said, beaming. We're refining the Mustafa technique to eliminate naturally occurring undesirable urges. It's tricky, modifying pathways we didn't put into place, but the early results are very encouraging. Within our generation, pedophilia may become nothing more than an unpleasant historical curiosity. Foster frowned. You still refer to it as the Mustafa technique when applied that way? Certainly. Why wouldn't we? Because it's bad branding. This service-to-society nonsense will be the linchpin of our public relations, and the last thing we want is for parents to worry about sending their kids to a college that's going to do some pervert operation to their brains. Pervert! Dr. Foster, I can assure you. I assure you, doctor, that I know what I'm talking about. When applied to removing strong sexual turn-ons, we're going to rename it, uh, the destimulation process? No, that's terrible. I'll put marketing to work on it. But here's the thing. Destimulation is what deviants and child molesters have done to them to make them safe to society. The Mustafa process, on the other hand, is what decent, upstanding citizens do to themselves to enter your academic program, or strengthen their ties to their spouse, or whatever other uses we come up with. It's a bad idea, Dr. Bernard said. Maybe marketing works with smoke and mirrors, but science... Marketing pays for science. In the official literature, you can call it whatever you want. In the very first paragraph, you can reveal that the Mustafa process and the destimulation process are, in fact, one and the same, and you and your readers can have a big hearty laugh at us silly corporate marketing weasels. But in the public eye, the distinction is critical. If you say so. Dr. Bernard looked unconvinced, but he did look acquiescent, and that was the important thing. Dr. Bernard led them to a well-furnished staff lounge. Foster settled into an overstuffed chair. When your students graduate, he asked as Dr. Bernard poured him a cup of coffee, do you perform the destimulation process on them before releasing them back into the world? Naturally, 
Dr. Bernard said, returning to more comfortable territory. It's not a popular policy amongst the students, but it's the only responsible thing to do. They'd be dangerous to themselves and others just by driving and listening to the radio at the same time. But even if learning is no longer orgasmic, I have to think they'd have trouble fitting in with normal society. Foster took a sip of his coffee. Black. It was delicious. Dr. Bernard nodded sadly. There have been some issues, but not as many as you might think. He took a nervous sip from his own mug. Psychological implications were clearly not the doctor's forte. Society always seems to make room for brilliant eccentrics. I suppose. Most of their readjustments are sexual in nature, yes? Dr. Bernard laughed. Correct. Ironic, isn't it? Not at all. Your students have created a unique culture on this island, one they're not going to find anywhere else. I thought they would be too sated to fool around with each other, but I can see that's not true at all. Indeed. Something about experiencing orgasm several times a day in a room filled with other people strips away inhibitions with astounding efficiency. I would call the firm majority of our students exhibitionists. Extreme promiscuity is quite common among the entire student body. Dr. Bernard didn't blush much, but it was enough for Foster to catch it. Apparently, the good doctor had been drinking from that particular well himself. No matter. Foster had no problem with his people indulging in the fringe benefits of their projects, as long as it didn't impact their work. Monique didn't always have this luxury. Most lectures, she had a number of concepts she needed to get across. She liked to sculpt the first day of class to spend the entire hour building to one central point. She wanted their first impression to be a memorable one. By the sounds coming from the class, it would be. She always marveled at her students' ability to take notes in this state. But we still don't have our agent, she continued. Her words the hands of a lover, stroking, caressing, guiding her students. They would remember every place those words touched and teased them, remember every tantalizing implication, every thrilling conclusion. If they forgot, the erotic poetry of their notes and the lesson outline would bring the encounter back to life. After all, a simple clock fits all the criteria we've defined so far, and your watch is not an example of artificial intelligence, no? No, the missing piece is autonomy. That word sent a few of her students into climax. She tried to remember who they were. They'd grasped the concept very quickly and would likely be among her best pupils. Over time, we expect that our agent will learn from its environment and that its behavior will, more and more, be determined by that experience. That is our definition of autonomy, the extent to which our agent's behavior is governed by its own experience. And thus, our agent is complete. She stopped to enjoy the scene playing out before her. The entire class writhed in ecstasy as the final piece of the puzzle slid into place, at last revealing scintillating insights and delicious ramifications that exploded through their minds. Nobody took notes, each of them incapacitated with the overwhelming bliss of comprehension. It had bothered her back in her first year. Each lecture, she'd pick one attractive student, always male at that, and pretend she was seducing him and him alone. It seemed so foolish now. She'd just taken 38 new young lovers, all in their sexual primes, 
and simultaneously left each and every one of them gasping with satisfaction a mere hour after meeting her. If that didn't put a little spring in your step, get thee to a nunnery. She allowed her students to recover while she fantasized about lunch with Michel. After a minute, they were ready for a last bit of pillow talk. Your assignment, she cooed, is to read chapters one and two before your discussion groups. You will complete exercises 1.1, 1.3. So what do you think? Dr. Bernard asked the next morning, escorting Foster back to his waiting helicopter. I think this place is amazing. Foster thought a great many things. His predecessor's handling of Wilhelm University had been competent, but woefully uninspired. For starters, the aesthetics of the place were abominable, naked young people notwithstanding. A little investment there would go a long way. Were all the relevant patents in place? He doubted it. Once Dr. Bernard and his people perfected their techniques, the franchise fees alone would be eye-popping. How many of Wilhelm Yu's graduates wound up working for the company after graduation? Probably not enough, at least not yet. If you're going to run your own genius factory, you may as well try to lay hands on the cream of the crop. Public relations were only going to get stickier, but he had some ideas. Through unofficial but tightly controlled channels, he'd see to the production of a shocking expose on Wilhelm Yu to be directed by the most self-righteous man of God Hollywood had to offer. Of course, the roles of producer and editor would fall to Foster's people. The final film would shock everybody who'd already chosen to be offended by the place and titillate everyone else. Would there be enough money and bootleg pirate footage of the student body to be worth pursuing? Probably not, and the privacy concerns would get ugly, exhibitionist students or no. In fact, best make sure the security and research footage was locked down tightly enough. Much of it was probably passable low-budget pornography. Although, that wasn't a half-bad idea. He could get some adult movie outfit with discreet ties to the company to shoot a few cheeseball films ostensibly set in Wilhelm. The company would be obligated to denounce the gross exploitation, but it would be sound advertising. He shared none of this with Dr. Bernard, but there was one thing the doctor needed to know. There's an old marketing cliché, Foster said. Sex sells. Have you heard of it? Of course he answered, with a note of apprehension in his voice. Do you know why it's true? Because people think about sex a lot. Close. Our sexuality touches every part of ourselves. Sometimes it's obvious, but sometimes it influences who you are in ways so subtle you wouldn't even think to trace it back to who you like to boff, or how you like to do it, or how often you get to. What you're doing on this island... What you've done to your students is to alter their sexuality to a degree that's unprecedented in human history. It will touch them, change them in ways we can only guess. You are creating an entirely new subset of humanity, and so far I haven't seen anything to indicate you're even aware of that fact. Dr. Bernard stammered and looked insulted. Mr. Foster, what are you saying? That we've been irresponsible? Yes, but it's not your fault he added before Dr. Bernard could sputter out his defense. Your job is to advance the project in front of you to the best of your abilities. Managing the ramifications is my job. Your students are going to be a demographic unto themselves. As your techniques gain acceptance, I expect that demographic to grow dramatically. I also expect that demographic to wield extraordinary purchasing power well out of proportion to its actual size. 
Whoever is the first to truly learn how to sell to your students will make a mountain of money. The company has a golden opportunity to collect that data, but we've been squandering it. I'm going to assign a team of marketing psychologists to this project, on-site, on a permanent basis. For now, let's target your next semester for their arrival. Of course, Dr. Bernard said, looking relieved. You'll have our full cooperation. Foster nodded. You're doing good work here, Doctor. You and your team. The company doesn't forget success of this magnitude. Dr. Bernard pumped Foster's hand enthusiastically. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. Expect to hear from my office within the week. It's been a pleasure visiting your laboratory. The pleasure, Dr. Bernard said, was all ours. And that was our story. Be honest with yourselves. I know how much class I skipped in college. In this world, how many of us would ever leave grad school? Our feedback for our prior story, the 43 Antarian Dynasties, was huge, and I think I'm going to save it for next week's intro. Besides, given that Mr. Resnick is such a clean-minded individual, I'm sure he stopped listening to this episode long ago. That was sarcasm. We're also going to begin running this year's Hugo nominees next week in the short story category, so you're in for a treat. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. All of the rights are reserved by our authors. Check out Pseudopod at pseudopod.org for the best in horror fiction and poddisc.com for collectible archives of our past stories. Soon to include collection number four as this episode wraps up our fourth six months. Our opening music is by permission of Daikaiju at daikaiju.org. Our closing music this week is a special benefit edition of the Jonathan Colton song, First of May. You may remember we dedicated episode 101 to Joe Murphy, and you'll hear a message at the end for the Joe Murphy Memorial Fund. I've given to it, and I hope you'll consider it as well. You can find the original version at jonathancolton.com and the complete benefit edition at addcast.net. We'll see you next week. Until then, any way you have fun is okay with me. Woke up this morning, I had a scone and a large house blend And then a little conversation with my squirrel and chipmunk friend Said I'm sick and tired of winter And I wish that it was spring Then a little fellow named Robin Redbreast began to sing And he sang, ooh, child, would you think the cold winter's gonna last forever? Ooh, child, now's the time for all the people to get together outside. Cause it's the first of May, first of May, outdoor fucking starts today. So bring your favorite lady, or at least your favorite lady. The water's not cold, baby, dip in your big toe Maybe I'll see you in flagrante delicto Grass below you, sky above Celebrate spring with a crazy little thing called Fucking outside I thanked him for the information I cried a little when he flew away 
watching an episode of The People's Code and I tried to plan my day. I called up my old lady. She wasn't home, so I called my girl. Asked if she'd like to join me as I entertain the world. And I said, Ooh, child, I bring a blanket and I promise I will brush the ants off. Ooh, child, you're gonna like it when we're taking each other's pants off outside. Cause it's the first of May, first of May, outdoor fucking starts today. So bring your favorite lady, or at least your favorite lady. Why, the water's not cold, baby, baby dip in your big toe. Maybe I'll, I'll see you in flagrante delecto. Grass below you, sky above. Celebrate spring with a crazy little thing called fucking outside. So we went to the park together. We were walking in that midday sun. Met, Met all, all kinds, kinds of people, of people and we, and we, <laughs> we, we fucked, fucked everyone. everyone. I fucked a lady who shells ice cream. I fucked a man with a tan chapeau. Everyone who needed fucking, fucking well, they, well they, they got, they got fucked, fucked today. So come on, so come on, ooh, ooh, child, ooh, child. Open, your mind, open your mind and your heart. Feel the spirit moving through you. Ooh, child, you feel, feel the warmth of the love when I stick it to you Outside Cause it's the first of May, first of May Outdoor fucking starts today So bring your favorite lady Or at least your favorite lady The water's not cold, maybe dip in your big toe Maybe I'll see you in for granted a little Grass below you, sky above Celebrate spring with a crazy little thing called Fucking outside Fucking outside Fucking outside Hi, I'm Paul Fisher. All the podcasters who contributed to this rendition of Jonathan Colton's First of May really hope you enjoy it. But for all of us, it was more than just fun. It was a labor of love. This song was a favorite of Joe Murphy of the Farpoint Media family of podcasts. Exactly one month ago, Joe ran out of May 1st to celebrate. You see, Joe died from an aggressive cancer called Lyomyosarcoma on April 1st, 2007. And that's no joke. Please take a moment to visit www.joemurphymemorialfund.org to find out more about Lyomyosarcoma. And if this song put a smile on your face, please donate to help Joe's family pay the bills his sudden illness and death left behind and to help find a cure. Then go on, get your blankets, and remember to brush the ants off. Now really, Joe would have wanted you to. Thanks to everyone for participating and listening. Special thanks to Phil Rossi for mixing a great song, and to Heather Welliver for an outstanding performance. 
This song is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution No Derivative Works 3.0 United States License. Oats and hay, oats and hay, stable muckin' starts my day. Everybody's a critic. <laughs> 